Welcome back, fellow football fanatics. I am your host, Fred, the NFL Always Offseason GM. And once again, this week, we got a great show planned for you today, some great content. We're going to dive into some of the recent NFL news. In addition to that, we're also going to be doing the State Your Case segment. Who do you think is the best GM out of the four candidates we had listed online? Uh, We'll dive into that deeper a little bit later. And then the last piece of content that we had planned for you today was build your own ideal NFL front office slash coaching staff with current active staff members in the NFL. So that's going to be a fun little exercise here where we can put together a GM head coach uh, pairing and see what we come out with. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Up first in recent NFL news, we're taking a look at the Tony Jefferson signing with the 49ers. Uh, he's a safety. He formerly was of the Baltimore Ravens a couple years ago. And I believe he tore his ACL and he sat out all of 2020. Uh, there was some rumors floating around that he was looking to join the 49ers in their secondary. And it becomes official over the last week here. So he returns to the game after taking a year off. Tony Jefferson to the 49ers. Uh, another signing... I apologize because these aren't big name guys, but uh, of note here, Juwan James signed with the the Baltimore Ravens this past week as well too. And uh, Juwan James is actually a pretty big name here as of recent due to his grievance he's filing against the Denver Broncos uh, where he was hurt uh, training away from the facility. So that's another situation that continues to be monitored. But I believe uh, when it was announced that he was signing with the Ravens, that they were going to be guaranteeing him like $500,000 for this year while he rehabs. And then after that, he's obviously going to have a chance to compete in 2022. So Juwan James to the Baltimore Ravens. And then uh, we're going to have to almost start calling this our, our weekly Aaron watch. So <laughs> this week, Aaron Rodgers did not report to the mandatory mini camp for their offseason workouts for the Packers and is actually able to be fined somewhere in the ballpark of like $93,000 for not reporting. So the Packers can choose to waive that dollar amount if they would like and not charge him or they can try to hold firm and go after him for that money and have him write a check. So this would be the first situation where he'd actually be fined. So that's the only thing of note here. But essentially he foregoes mandatory minicamp. It's it's, it's kind of a, a non non-news article here just because obviously if he's going to hold out he's going to hold out you know $93,000 isn't going to stop him from it and I've also seen a lot of people like Andrew Brandt and some other people mention that yeah when he signs his contract if they give him an extension or something like that you'll see it be for like $45 million plus $93,000 so it's it's basically a non-news here Uh, in his wake what I found was a little bit funny was they interviewed Jordan Love uh, as he's been kind of running the offense there in Aaron's absence. And they asked him if he's ready to be QB1. And he answers by saying, yes, I'm ready to be QB1. They draft me in the first round. It's my expectation to play. And everybody blows it up, makes it in this big news article. Jordan Love's ready to take over. So what do you, my opinion is, what do you want the guy to say? Like, is he? Do you, would you rather him go up on the podium and be like, yeah, I'm not even close. There's no way I'm going to be ready to play week one. Like then everybody would be like, oh, well, why did we pick this guy? He's never he's two years in and he's not ready. Like it's a complete non-news in my opinion. Like he's he's only answering it the way that ninety-nine percent of the rest of the league would answer it. So 
you know, non-news in my opinion. Uh, it's a pretty slow uh, news week is again here. So hopefully we start ramping up as we get closer to training camp. And obviously we'll we'll keep an eye on the whole Rogers situation. Uh, I know Mark Murphy came out and said that he's a a complicated fella. So <laughs> not helping matters at all. So I'm sure it'll continue to be this drama-filled episode as we get closer. So that's it for the recent news. We'll dive into the next segment here. So for the next segment, we're going to be doing building the ideal NFL front office using current staff members. So once again, we're going to be picking a GM that's a current NFL GM. Then we're also going to be picking a head coach, current NFL head coach, and then also a current offensive coordinator and a current defensive coordinator. And uh, we'll pick one from each. uh, It can be from the same team. It doesn't matter. Uh, We can pick. Just pretty much anybody who we think is the best candidate that's currently active in the NFL to fit our front office or our ideal front office. And then in addition to that, we're going to explain why we picked them. So rolling right into it, the first one we're going to be picking is a general manager or GM. And this is actually the toughest one for me. I, I wasn't sh- quite sure I want where I wanted to go with this. Uh, Jason Light obviously is an easy pick that a lot of people would make. I did not go with Jason Light. I kind of did not like his early drafting days there in Tampa Bay. Uh, you could have went, you know, Brett Veach in Kansas City. Once again, I I don't know how much of that was necessarily him or like John Dorsey, the the guy before him. He's done a pretty good job since, but I don't know how much credit we're going to give him for that Super Bowl run. Uh, second, you know. And basically, this is where I landed, was taking Brandon Bean, the general manager for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, he's going to be my selection. I, I think he's done an absolutely phenomenal job turning around the Buffalo Bills the last few years here. Uh, he was hired in the 2017 offseason after the draft. So really, anything that was done during uh, the 2017 year, the 2018 offseason, 1920, that's all been Brandon Bean. And if we just kind of run through some of the stuff that he's done there while he's been in office with the Buffalo Bills, uh, he's drafted Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, Tremaine Edmonds, A.J. Epinesa, and then this year he had uh, Gregory Rousseau and Terrell Basham, you know, Boogie Basham. Uh, Some of the late-round guys he's gotten, uh, Daryl Williams, uh, starting tackle for them, Gabriel Davis, a a very key, uh, like, third or fourth wide receiver in their offense. And then I, I also am... You know, I'm a little bit bullish on this guy. I like Dawson Knox. Some people don't know if he has a lot of potential. I still think he could be a breakout candidate this year. All great draft picks, but, I mean, the headliners there, Josh Allen, you know, that, that was a huge move. That was a that's a very gutsy move in going into the top 10 to get a guy from a, a non-Power 5 school uh, out of Wyoming there. And Brandon Bean didn't hesitate. You know, he, he did a great job with that, and... You know, a lot of people don't like Ed Oliver. I still think he's got a lot of potential. Tremaine Edmonds, another high-ceiling type of guy. So I really liked a lot of the draft picks he made. But in my opinion, where he really excelled was when you take a look at their impact additions that they've made during his tenure, you got guys like Stephon Diggs, where he made a trade for a first-rounder. And Stephon Diggs has been absolutely unreal for him, for them this last year and moving into this year. And then they got guys like Cole Beasley and... Then offensive linemen like Mitch Morris and John Feliciano. And then defensive lineman Vernon Butler. Like these are all guys that are like big time additions, but the, the headliners there, the two receivers, two gutsy moves for guys that Stefan Diggs was he was he was a ascending player. He was a good player in Minnesota, but he absolutely exploded onto the scene last year in 2020. And then 
also another guy like Cole Beasley, who was kind of like an afterthought after leaving Dallas. Like he was always just thought of as a good slot player, a good underneath guy. He's going to get you a bunch of targets. He's not going to do anything special with the ball. And last year, he was a second-team All-Pro wide receiver and a a pretty key piece of what they do there in Buffalo. So I think that those are some huge big-time additions that uh, he made in his tenure that, you know, just even more further bolster, like, kind of what he does. So, and obviously with all the good, there is some bad. Uh, They have a few losses or there's a a couple misses that they made uh, losing guys like Logan Thomas who kind of blew up after he left Buffalo in uh, Washington there and then guys like Wyatt Teller who was absolutely phenomenal for the Cleveland Browns this last year and even Richie Incognito was has been very good for the Oakland Raiders so those are a few guys that they lost out on and a couple of his big mistakes uh, that he made as well are going to be like the, the Josh Norman signing they really wanted to pair him with uh, Tredavious White and he just didn't quite have as much left in the tank as they had originally thought. And then you got guys like their draft picks, like Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. You know, they were second and third round picks or third. Yeah, I believe second or third round picks. And they just, ha- they really haven't panned out. I mean, you look at their running game, they, they could almost get like, is like non-existent in the playoffs last year. I mean, I think they, what they run the ball like twice in that game against the Chiefs in the AFC championship. It just, they, they haven't got a whole lot of production out of them guys. Uh, they're really banking on them to make a big step this year, I think. But in my opinion, all the good moves that Brandon Bean's made during his Buffalo tenure for further outweigh any of the bad stuff. And even when you take a look at what he did in Carolina before he came there as, you know, one of their chief uh, personnel type of guys, I, I think his resume speaks for itself. He'd be the GM I'd be calling to be head of my team up because it just seems like every decision he's making is the right one. So next up in the front office slash coaching staff here, it's going to be the head coach. And when you take a look at it, there's another a lot of really good options. And I could have went with the low-hanging fruit here and took Bill Belichick. Obviously, he's the greatest coach that's ever even thought about coaching in the NFL. But I kind of went with a different route here. And with today's NFL, and we're getting a lot of these young guys in there that are like you know, 21, 22 years old that might not respond to the you know the aggressive coaching that a lot of the guys in the Belichick tree like to do and I ended up going with Bruce Arians so I I think that Bruce Arians is this like elite CEO type of head coach that is like a legitimate like players coach like guys love playing for this guy and you look at where he's everywhere he's been. It's he's been very successful, especially as a head coach. When you look at his eight eight seasons as a head coach, which is including the one in Indianapolis where he filled in for Chuck Pagano, there's only two times he's been below 500. And both times he had seven wins on a 16 game season. Like that, that's very very good. That's I mean his win percentage is very high. So he, he's able to build up these organizations and he's be he's able to coach these guys up. He's able to get the best out of these guys. You look at what he did in Arizona with an an aging Carson Palmer. Like they were extremely competitive for 2-3 years there. They made an NFC Championship game. And then also like I also love the fact that he is a CEO coach that we talked about before. He he's able to just sit at the top and 
run things the way he wants. You know, he used to be an OC type of guy, an offensive-minded coach, but he's kind of took a step back. He let Byron Leftwich kind of run the offense last year in Tampa Bay, and look what they got him. It got him to a Super Bowl, and he's not afraid to make the bold moves. Uh, he likes to hire a lot of minority candidates. He gives these guys opportunities that might they might not have elsewhere. He is a big proponent of a female... Uh, excuse me, female leadership in the front office, whether it's, you know, personnel decisions or if it's coaching, he's, he's made some big strides there too. So he's not afraid to go make the bold decision. He's not afraid to tell these guys how it is. And even like you listen to these interviews, he, he treats Tom Brady just like everybody else. But at the same time, he, he knows what kind of icon he is. So I think he really knows how to reach guys. I think he really knows how to kind of just take an overarching uh, look at teams and say, hey, this is what we need to do. We need to have the right guys in the right places. We need to get the best out of these guys. So I really like Bruce Arians. He was my pick for head coach in this situation. Next up, we're going to roll with the offensive coordinator. And I kind of went out of left field on this one. I kind of went with an ascending guy. And I'm sure once I say that, everybody knows who I'm taking here. But I'm going to roll with Joe Brady, uh, the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. So he's only been an offensive coordinator in the NFL for one year, but he does have some NFL ties. He comes from uh, the the Sean Payton system where he was the QB coach in New Orleans, where he then moved on to LSU. And everybody knows what he did in LSU. He coached Joe Burrow, and Joe Burrow only posted the best season in, in college football history for a quarterback, won the Heisman, goes number one overall. So... He's got a pretty decent resume for how short it is. And then you take a look at what he did in Carolina last year. I'm really impressed by what he did. When you look at what he had, I mean, you're working with a quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, who is, I mean, let's face it. I mean, is he even a top 32 quarterback in the league at this point? I think he is, but it's not by much. Like, we're talking top 25, top 30. So... I mean, when you look at what he had with the Bear Cupboard there, he did have some weapons in DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, but nothing that was like over the top great. And when you look at their key piece in Christian McCaffrey, I mean, he only played three games last year. He took a, a Mike Davis that, you know, great player. Nobody knew about him before last year until Joe Brady worked his magic. So once again, he made a just completely... I won't say terrible situation, but like incompetent situation that made it look good or made it look average last year. So I, I have a lot of faith in Joe Brady. I think he can direct an offense. I think he knows what to do with pers- with the personnel he has. So bring him over, give him or make him ROC here in this situation, working under Bruce Arians. And I think you're going to really see him flourish. So next up and the, the last spot on our staff here that we're going to be picking is going to be the defensive coordinator. So I went through and kind of highlighted some of the best defenses and the big changes they made and the improvements that you see on that side of the ball. And the one that really stuck out to me that it was actually the first guy I thought of, but I just had to double check some other numbers. And I went with Matt Eberflus for the Indianapolis Colts. So the Colts for the longest time in the, the 2000s and the 2010s was they were they were not known for their defense. Um, you know, the Peyton Manning days where he's just throwing up crazy amount of points and just not getting a whole lot of help on defense. Same with Andrew Luck. And when you took a look at Matt Eberflus, he was hired in 2018, was his first season. And they were coming off a year in 2017 where they finished 
30th in overall defense. And coming and after 2018, they finished 10th in points allowed, 11th in yards allowed, and 10th in turnovers. So that's that's a 20 position swing in one year with this guy. This this is a guy that is putting together his scheme, getting his guys able to explain to these guys what he wants from these guys and is able to get them performing at an extremely high level. So then into 2019, they seen a little bit of a dip and they dropped down to 18th in points allowed, 16th in yards allowed, and 10th in turnovers. So a little bit of a dip, not too concerning. It's not like they're dropping 10 to 15 spots. They're only losing, you know, five, six, seven spots here. So not concerning at this point, but, you know, we're watching. And then what happens in 2020? Responds with a year that he allows 10, he's 10th in points allowed, 8th in yards allowed, and 5th in turnovers. So this this is a guy, even with a down year, still finishing the top 10 in turnovers every single year he's been at the helm. He's consistently given up very few points and consistently given up very few yards. And this is all in a, a three-year span with the first year being a 20-position turnaround. So... I love what this guy is doing. Bring it on over to our staff. Put it together. Show the players what we want to do. Install it. See a big change day one. I think this is a great staff when you look at it. You get Bruce Arians being the CEO at the top. You have Joe Brady, ascending play caller, calling the plays. And you have an elite defensive coordinator in Matt Eberflus coming over who... Let's face it, Joe Brady and Matt Eberflus are probably getting head coaching jobs next year. So these are two great candidates, two guys at the top of their respective positions. I think that this is a front office that would be made to win. This is my ideal front office. I would love this this, uh, this setup here. So let us know your thoughts. I know we're, we're probably going to hear about it for not picking Bill Belichick for anything. And that's your opinion. That That's fine. That's all right with me. But... Just let us know what your thoughts are. Let's let's see what your best off uh, front office is and compare it to ours. So rolling right into state your case this week, we put out a poll on Twitter for the viewers and asked for an answer to who is the best current GM in the NFL. And it, I was a little bit surprised by the the vote because we put it out there and it was the options: Jason Light with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Brett Veach with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Brandon Bean with the Buffalo Bills, and then Mickey Loomis with the New Orleans Saints. And uh, those are the top four, in my opinion. I kind of just went through the the entire NFL and based on recent and uh, long term success and kind of how they'd set the team up. I, I picked those names out, and uh, I'll give an honorable mention to Kevin Colbert because we had someone comment a mention in his name saying. Uh, Hey, I think he's one of the top guys. So that was one vote for him, so I'll mention him in there. But uh, those four were the ones we put in the poll. And with the viewers voting on it, uh, actually a little bit surprised because it's the same guy that I picked for our, our earlier segment when we were building the front office out, and it was Brandon Bean. So Brandon Bean with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, we're we're going to defend why he is the best GM in the NFL. And uh, he, he starts out his career as an intern with the Carolina Panthers where he's he basically turns down a sales job there to be an office intern, and he kind of works his way up through the organization over 
last couple decades here and ends up being the assistant GM on the Carolina Panthers when they go to the Super Bowl in 2015 and kind of makes a name for himself in a lot of the scouting circles, a lot of the front office circles. And eventually, uh, once Doug Whaley, who has led the Buffalo Bills to kind of a bunch of middling records there in Buffalo after they've seen some very serious success in the late late to mid-90s. But a lot of 6 and 10s, a lot of 8 and 8s, a lot of 7 and 9s and 9s and 7s uh, over the last decade or so for the Buffalo Bills. They they moved on from Doug Whaley and went on and hired Brandon Bean. Uh, Sean McDermott had already been there uh, before Brandon Bean got there. And basically they kind of went and got one of his guys uh, that McDermott had worked with at Carolina. So Brandon Bean comes in. I believe it was in his first draft he selects Josh Allen, which we all know what Josh Allen did this past year. He's a top five quarterback in the NFL. Uh, it didn't look like that early on. The first couple of years, a little bit rocky. But he really comes on and has really proven that he was worth that top ten selection. And at the time, it wasn't a very, uh, very popular pick with fans and just people around the NFL in general. So... Uh, kudos to Brandon Bean. He made a great move and gets his guy in Josh Allen. And when we take a look at some of his other draft picks, he gets Etta Oliver, who at, at the time was an absolute steal considered. He was a top five player in the draft. And they get him at like eight or nine again. And then we take a look. He, he gets guys like Tremaine Edmonds. And uh, Daryl Williams is a later round selection in the third third or fourth round there as well that, that really panned out for him. And then this past year, they got Gregory Rousseau in the first round. And they get another... Uh, quality piece in Terrell Basham so through the draft it's you know they got the high end talent with Josh Allen but then you get a lot of guys that have just been very consistent uh, contributors to their roster with kind of sticking around and being impact players I I believe they picked the fifth year option up on all the players so far that have been available so I that's a true testament to hey they, they see that they got the guys that fit their culture they fit their locker room they fit what they're trying to do on offensive defense and they fit their scheme and basically they like what they got and they're going to keep moving on with them so I think that those are some really great hits by Brandon Bean in the draft but I, I think where he really excels and basically has really made a name for himself in Buffalo has been adding some of these impact players uh, in the offseason that really have made a significant uh, c- contributions to their roster. So I remember a couple years back when they were building all that offensive line, they, they signed a couple of guys like Mitch Morris and Jonathan uh, Feliciano and uh, like Ty Neschke, and everybody's like, man, they're, they're doling out. It's, they're not big contracts, but like these six, seven, eight million dollar contracts to these guys that just, you know, n- not necessarily no-name guys, but just kind of middle tier, you know, me- mediocre offensive linemen. And they've really, like, built out, and they've got some serious depth along the offensive line. Now, they, they get all these guys that they bring in, like Mitch Morris and Jonathan Feliciano. They're, they're starting for them now. You know, they, they've made significant contributions. They're, they're still sticking to the roster. They're on a team that just made an AFC championship game. So I think that that was the way to go. They, you build it in the trenches, and you go from there. But the two that I want to hit on that are extremely important in shaping this Bills up, uh, roster were Cole Beasley and uh, Stephon Diggs. So they, they signed Cole Beasley from the Dallas Cowboys. And he was a very, you know, average or above average slot player for the Cowboys. But he's the second team all pro this past year. And when you look at it, they have another all pro 
played on the outside from him, Stefan Diggs, the guy, once again, above average player, good player from Minnesota Vikings. They trade a first rounder, which at the time they're like, man, you're going to trade a first rounder for Stefan Diggs after DeAndre Hopkins just goes for a second and a fourth. But it's paid off. It's been worth every single penny. The guy goes for 110, 120 receptions this past year and just lit the world on fire. Another all pro. So you got one of the best duos in the NFL. I mean, if, if anybody's been on social media in the last couple of days, you're going to see all the the memes and Twitter pictures going around about how who's the best duo in the NFL. And Bill's Mafia is letting you know that, hey, we got a couple guys here that are definitely worth talking about in that same light. So really like what they did there, getting a couple of very high-quality veterans, bringing them in and making immediate impacts and really affecting how they run their offense, especially since they like to go that 10 personnel look where they're, where they're trying out four wide receivers every time. They're slinging a ball around. They're letting Josh Allen really make plays, and these guys have made significant contributions, are really high-impact players for the Bills roster right now. I mean, of course they're going to miss on some guys, you know, most notably the couple running backs that they drafted, you know, Zach Moss and uh, Devin Singletary. They're going to have every opportunity to, to try to get crack the roster and really make an impact and really do better than what they've done their first couple years in the league here. Like, it's not too late for them guys. So they're going to get every opportunity to, to contribute still. And guys like Dawson Knox, like, they're it's a position that takes a little bit of time to really develop in the NFL. So I wouldn't necessarily say he's a miss either. So he's only in his third year here. He could still he could still make uh, significant strides and really be another high-impact player on that offense. But even with that, some of the other signings, uh, I really like Vernon Butler. He's a guy that is really in the mix up front to get some quality snaps. And for every time you get guys like Vernon Butler and Cole Beasley, you're going to have a guy like a Josh Norman. So, like, you're not, you're not going to bat 1,000 every time. You know, you're going to miss a couple. You're going to bat 800 every now and then. So I don't necessarily hate that. It's not like Josh Norman was terrible. He was a cheap option at the time, trying a one-year prove-it deal. Didn't really work out. But in my opinion... Brandon Bean is one of the best young executives in the league. Uh, this guy is worth every penny. And in his first year, he he leads the Buffalo Bills and helps build that roster to a playoff appearance, which they hadn't seen success like that in a very long time. So Bills Mafia really appreciates what he's brought over from Carolina. And he, he's a self-made guy that, you know, really bet on himself, really uh, built his own career there in Carolina. So love what they're doing love what buffalo's gotten this guy i think he's the best gm in the league currently and it really looks like he's set the bills up for success in the future that's going to be all she wrote for this episode this week we appreciate everybody with uh, downloading the podcast taking a listen uh, interacting with any of the nonsense that we throw out there on the the twitter website as well too it's all greatly appreciated it's always fun and great to hear back from some of the viewers some of the the people following us along on on twitter as well too i, I always i always love to get everybody else's opinion that it's it's never enough just to be stuck in your own ways it's always going to be open-minded see what everybody else has to offer out there 
So uh, next week, we're going to have another great episode planned, some of the more off-season content that we've been working on. We'll be sure to share it with you on Twitter and include everybody in on that, especially the State Your Case episode. So be sure to tune in. We'll see you next week.